relationships are wonderful and awesome and and giving and freaking messy, right? They are so messy. And why is that? It's because humans are messy. And that's part of the beauty and it's also part of the complication, right? Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Research continues to show us that we are hardwired for deep connection. And this has never felt more real to me than when my son Kingston came into this world. In all of the best ways, Kingston inspired me to uplevel who I am and how I show up in all of my relationships, not just his. The level of growth since Kingston arrived has skyrocketed, but it has not always been easy. It's beyond true that life will never be the same now that I get the honor to be his mama and to be the safe place for him to land each and every day. In raising him, I have looked at my relationships differently across the board. And the biggest work that I've done so far is my work on strengthening my emotional intelligence, which is one of the greatest and hardest work I've ever done. But I love that I get to become more emotionally intelligent and that I get to model this for Kingston today. But that doesn't mean that I get it right all the time, especially with Kingston's dad, my husband, Alex. It's with Alex that I get to practice it a lot because we've been together over 10 years, close to 12 years to date. And I know that I am not the only one that feels this way. I know that most of us want to be able to experience our emotions in a safe and healthy way without feeling triggered and reactive so that our emotions don't run us. And that is why I invited Dr. Patty Ann to share her greatest insights on how to become emotionally intelligent, even during our most difficult conversations, and to also help us tap into our own truth in those moments. She'll be sharing insights on how to discern our response in those moments and how to manage those with a lot of grace. Now, if you are struggling with a challenging relationship right now, or you want to improve a relationship that means a lot to you, whether that's with your partner or a child or a sibling or a best friend, today's conversation is for you. And before we jump into this powerful conversation with Dr. Patty Ann, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Patty Ann Tumblin is an internationally recognized emotional intelligence, communication, and relationship expert. She's a speaker, author, and an executive coach and consultant. She is the CEO and founder of Relationship Toolbox LLC, a training and development coaching and consultant firm specializing in the development of emotional intelligence and other critical soft skills. She enhances the optimal individual and group performance that impacts the bottom line. She's a two-time best-selling author of Money Can't Buy You Happiness, Secrets Women Need to Know to Get Paid What They Are Worth, and Not Tonight, Dear, I've Got a Business to Run. You can check out Dr. Patty Ann at drpattyann.com. Let's welcome her to the show. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. 
Now this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Welcome, Dr. Patty Ann, to the show. How are you doing today? Gosh, what a treat to have you on. Oh my gosh, I am doing great. I am so excited. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to offer as much value to the wonderful women that you have listening to this podcast and to your community. So let's tell me how I can help. Ooh, well, you are hands down one of the most prolific and most effective therapist, doctors when it comes to relationships. And right. not well, I only- do coaching, I don't do therapy. Okay, I do that's coaching. right. You're just coaching at this point. Coaching and consulting, right. Yes. And what, you know, not only in the personal realm, but also in the professional realm. And as you know, my incredible community of women, we are navigating a lot of relationships all of the time. And I know that relationships can be so incredible and so amazing, but also difficult to navigate based on our own emotional intelligence based on our own patterning, traumas, I mean, the whole nine. And what I want to talk about today is that what I would really want to have you lend to is our role in relationships and how it starts with us. I think sometimes we forget that, especially when we're upset with somebody. All right. So, you know, you said it great, right? Relationships are wonderful and awesome and and giving and freaking messy, right? They are so messy. And why is that? It's because humans are messy. And that's part of the beauty. And it's also part of the complication, right? So what you were saying earlier about how to navigate this, what would I like to say, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, but wherever we go, there we are, right? Mm. So if we're having trust issues, confidence issues, communication issues in our personal relationships, Dollars to donuts, we are having those same issues in our professional relationships because wherever we go, there we are. They might manifest themselves differently, but the issue is the same nonetheless. It just might look differently. So what's the most important relationship we all have? It's with us, ourselves. Of course, it's with ourselves, right? So what we like to do as humans, as women, is we do tend, anybody, not just to put this on women, it's so much easier and it saves our ego. And you know what? All of us have an ego that can be a little fragile, right? At different times, depending upon how we're triggered, which is, about emotional intelligence later on down the the podcast interview. So don't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So what we need to look at is what we bring to any situation where trust becomes an issue or where self-esteem becomes an issue or where communication becomes an issue. Because many times the lens through which we see others is really 
based on how we see ourselves. And if we see ourselves as fragile, as less than, as not good enough, we will project that out onto others and we will think they will be saying that about us. Or we do think that, and that's the lens through which we see the whole world. So many times we have to look inward and do work on ourselves and see where we need to improve and grow. And oh, by the way, every single person on the planet needs to do this. So this is not bad. There's nothing wrong with us. This is all about growing and evolving as people have done from the beginning of time. It's just that now as life has gotten more complicated and more sophisticated, like most of us are not worrying about where we're going to live, if we have a roof over our head or what kind of food we're going to, but thank God, right? But now we want high quality relationships. We want love. And as we've upped that bar, what we bring to the game is that much more important. Mm. Okay. And I love that you said that this isn't a bad thing, that we're all in this growth continuum. But I know that when we're in it, when we're in the yuck with somebody, when we're struggling with a relationship, whether it is a family member or it's a partner, or it's even children or professional, I know it can be hard in that moment <laughs> to like really see it. I am so glad you brought that up because a thousand percent, and, and I hope that what I'm going to say now will help somebody who either is in the muck now or had been or certainly will be because nobody gets out of this thing called life alive, right? Like, we all have to go through hell. In the muck is where the growth happens, right? So even though the muck sucks, it is where we can grow the most. That is where we our potential gets pinged and comes into play. So what we have to do is remember that as we are, I think Winston Churchill said it, when you're going through hell, just keep going. And what I mean by that is do not give up on yourself just because it feels sucky, just because it hurts. And gosh, nothing hurts like a relationship where we're not trusted or we don't trust or we've been betrayed or we're not valued. That really cuts to the core, but that's the opportunity for growth. And that's the opportunity as long as we don't quit on ourselves and we're able to look at the raw of who we are and what we're bringing to the table and maybe what we need to work on and evolve we will come out the other end, there will be ramifications for it. There might be relationships we have to let go of. There might be people in our lives that are toxic to us that don't serve us well. Just because I'm saying to look at yourself doesn't mean you let every crazy lunatic in the world stay in your life and continue to hurt you. Just be aware of your role in how that person got into your life and how you perhaps allowed them to stay and hurt you. And, and what you mean by that is like, what is my role in it? 
What was exactly. my part in it? And what's my what responsibility? I, yes. What's my responsibility in it? Dr. Pennyan, I know that when we're in, in, in it, it can be so hard to have that level of inquiry about it, especially if we're feeling hurt or right. we're feeling like the victim. How do we even begin to look at that inquiry? How do we begin to look at what our responsibility is in that moment? Okay. Great, great question. Such a great question. So I'm going to say to look at yourself in the same way I would tell you to look at others from a place of curiosity, meaning not how did you let this happen, but how did I let this happen? What was going on for me where I allowed this to somebody into my life? What needs were being fulfilled that maybe should have came from me? Or where was I feeling maybe a little desperate where I didn't really appropriately vet the other person? Why did I trust somebody that I come to find is not really trustworthy? So the first thing I would suggest is be compassionate and be curious and start from that place of curiosity, not blame, not victimhood. And then, and this is, this goes hand in hand. This is so important. Remember that there are no absolute truths. There are none. Truth is based upon your perspective of the situation and the life experience that you bring to the situation. So you might be thousand percent certain that you're right and they're wrong. And guess what? The same exact situation, the other person thinks they're a thousand percent and you're wrong. And when that happens, we have a standoff. Nothing moves, nothing gets resolved, nothing gets worked through. So look at the situation that has created the pain, the mistrust breakdown, and think no matter how small, what did I contribute to where I am today? Even if it was only 1%, own your responsibility in the situation and then share that with the other person. Now, suggest that you take blame for blame that doesn't belong, but think about it this way. If you're going to try to get somebody else to come around and say, oh my gosh, you're right, I'm 100% wrong, you are waiting for Godot. So even if you just take a 1% responsibility, perhaps I shouldn't have done X, or perhaps I shouldn't have said Y. I take responsibility for that. However, I would like you to look at whatever, right? So if you, if you take ownership and responsibility for how you got to where you are today, that will help you start to re-engage the conversation and re-engage the relationship to restore the trust and to bring it to a healthier place or to dissolve the relationship in a way where you're not still holding on to, to the toxicity, right? Because just because nobody's no longer in our life, that doesn't mean for one second they're not in our world. And oh my gosh, you and your audience knows this so well because our body doesn't lie and all of these feelings impact our hormonal balance or more accurately, imbalance. So true. So, so true. 100%. You're right. If we're holding on to that, like you think about the amount of 
deregulation on a, a cellular level, on a physical level, but like how, how painful it is to be in that suffering and how that doesn't do us any good either. And, you know, if anything, like at there's times where you're thinking about that person, you're worked up about that person, they may not be thinking about you. You are causing that disheaval. You are causing your own suffering. Well, what, what you do, what we're doing is we are abdicating our own power, our own self-worth, our own self-love, and allowing somebody else to still compromise it, even as you said, when they've moved on. Mm -hmm. So you are allowing somebody to create all of this, to continue the muck. You're still in the muck. They've moved on perhaps, right? So I would say, say to somebody, why would you continue to empower somebody to do something to you when you've made a decision to extricate them from your life? They are still having power over you. And guess what? They're probably, and this is where you come into the picture, Doc, they're probably making themselves sick over it. And I do mean making themselves sick over it. Mm, I agree. So there's multifaceted here. One, finding our, our responsibility, finding our, you know, kind of what role do we play, right. whether it's a trust issue or you're right, Anything I'm wrong. Anything that's not whatever. working for us. Exactly. Anything that's not working for us. Right. And then What's and our ownership in that. And then, and then releasing that, forgiving that, like clearing the space for that so that you can hopefully learn the lesson that, that was meant to be learned in that moment and then be able to move on in a healthy way, um, which I know easier said than done. Easier right. said than you done. You said the word, thank you for saying this, forgive ourselves, forgive, mm-hmm. right? The person that we have to forgive is ourselves, right? Even if we were 50% responsible, 90% responsible, 99% responsible, 1% responsible, we have to forgive ourselves because when we don't, that creates resentment. And you might've heard me say this, but resentment is like me drinking arsenic, hoping you die. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's crazy in a way, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't serve us. And if you look at the functional MRIs today, you can show pictures of, tell somebody, think about somebody, you know, that's hurt them, that they haven't forgiven. And it's amazing to see what the brain does with that. And then you have to create empathy, which is a whole other conversation. But we do know now that, you know, people think empathy is, oh, you're born with it or you're not. No, it's a competency. It's a skill. We can develop it. And one of the ways we can develop it is with compassion enhancing meditation. And that's a whole, I mean, I can talk about that if you want, but do you want me to tell about that? It's a little exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. And then I want to also shift into cultivating some emotional intelligence, like what that looks like. (laughs) Okay. So this, and this is not my exercise. This is somebody, somebody else's work that I study, Steve Kotler, and this is what he talks about. So Compassion enhancing meditation. I would imagine most of the people listening know what meditation is, Mm -hmm. but this is the exercise. It is so wonderful. So even now, if you wouldn't mind, close your eyes, even you doctor, close your eyes, and then just start to think about the people in your life that have been kind to you. Like nobody that you know great, it could just be the mailman. It could be the person you get your coffee from in the morning. Just think about somebody that's been kind to you, that on some level you have a relationship with and you care about each other. And now wish them well, 
wish them happiness and feel that. And now think about the people closer to you, the people that you love. Think about somebody that you've loved, that you love, that has been kind to you, that cares about you. Tell them you love them. Wish them well. Wish them all the good things that life has in store. And now think about yourself. Think about caring for yourself, loving yourself. And now wish yourself well. Wish yourself all the happiness in the world and own it and embrace it. Okay, so everybody can come back. I mean, I just took like, you know, minutes of an exercise and I just, you know, truncated it. But did you get the feeling for that? Mm-hmm. Is it wonderful? Powerful. Mm-hmm. Like I love just teaching it, right? So that's that's what we have to do for ourselves. And sometimes it's easier if we work from the outside in, but ultimately it comes to us. I love that. And I, I, I can see how how, how easier, how it could feel easier if we start with somebody else who's been kind to us and then move into kindness towards ourself. I know that when people, there's a mirror exercise I've walked people through and it can be so uncomfortable because you're telling yourself you love yourself and that you forgive yourself in the mirror. And it can be so, so uncomfortable for people to do that because they've never done that before. Because I know that so many of us at different levels, you know, where we stand in our, in our own worth, you know, like something just triggers up for us. And so I love an exercise where you start with somebody else first and then you get to come to yourself. It's so powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Because if you think about it, so many times we don't accept ourselves or a piece of ourselves. But we'll, especially women, oh my God, we'll give our soul to everybody else and leave, leave ourselves bankrupt. So you're really in a lot of trouble if you can't be grateful and appreciative of the people that make life, life and enjoyable. So you go outside and then you work in. And even with people that love us, like, yeah, those are the people that hurt us too. But Again, if you start from a place of gratitude and acceptance and love, it's a great way to go through the world, to go through your day. Oh, so yummy. So powerful. Thank you so much. And I, it's such an easy way to cue into our own worth and to like, just to continue to establish more of that self-worth and self-love. So I hope everyone's going to try that. Now I want to segue into got a mega topic, which is emotional intelligence. And this is an area of my own, of my focus as of over the last year and a half with, um, with Kingston being born, mm-hmm. of wanting to not only raise him with emotional intelligence, because I was not raised with emotional nobody intelligence. Went, nobody took emotional intelligence in school. It's a travesty. It yes. is a travesty. And yeah. so in my own, in my, in my own wanting that to cultivate that in him, I have been in my own journey, my own, my own learnings. And it is, it is a, it, the, probably some of the best work one can do, but some of the hardest work one can do because you are unraveling so many patterns and you're unraveling so much, whatever, whatever happened <laughs> in your childhood. And so you're, you're healing inner child wounds. And so um, I'd love to just come into one, could you share a little bit about what emotional intelligence is and are there ways that we can begin to cultivate it? Okay. So let me, let me jump in. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things, a couple of things. First of all, when we're parenting, especially young children, as you are, that is the 
perfect time to develop your emotional intelligence. Because as we parent, we are re-experiencing perhaps our former less than stellar emotional intelligence reactions to things in a way to remold it to new and improved, if you will. So it's, it's a perfect time, right? Having said that, it's not easy, but it's worth it. So there's that piece. The other piece is I want to just reframe what you said to give it a positive spin as opposed to, ugh, this is so hard in a traumas. Let's look at it as, let, let, let me talk about it in relation to IQ, okay? So uh, in terms of what it is, because I want people to embrace this process. I don't want them to look at it as, oh my God, I got to work on my emotional intelligence. I want it to be I get an opportunity to improve my emotional intelligence. How lucky am I, right? And guess what? People piss us off every single day. So we have plenty of opportunities to work on it, right? Because it's usually not the emotion of happiness that gets us in trouble. It's usually anger or frustration, right? So here's the really great news that excites me about EQ. So um, IQ years ago, back when the dinosaurs ruled the earth, IQ was the be all and end all. You wanted your kid to have an IQ. You wanted them to be in the gifted program, right? Because they were going to set the world on fire. Well, guess what? We all went to school with people that were really, really smart, that are not very successful or happy in life because they don't have emotional intelligence. Right. They might have the brain power. They might have the cognitive skills, but they don't have the emotional skills. Like I read something not that long ago and and it said, you know, you can teach your child to code, to speak five languages, to do calculus. But if you haven't taught them how to manage their emotions, all the previous skill set will be for naught. So we now know that, you know, IQ will get you through school, maybe get you the job and EQ will get you through life and the promotion. So what's emotional intelligence? So we've all heard of Daniel Goleman and there's four quadrants and like, you sound really smart smart when you give the specific technical definition, but you can't operationalize it. So it's worth nothing. So I'm gonna give you my definition. Mm -hmm. My definition is emotional intelligence is the ability to identify and to manage your emotions in real time so they don't manage you. And the ability to empathize with the emotions of others in real time. Now, when I say in real time, what I mean by that is as the situation is unfolding, be aware of what you're feeling. Now, when you say identify your emotion, it sounds like Captain Obvious. How many people do we know that have no clue of how they feel about anything and how that then negatively impacts everybody around them, Mm -hmm. everybody around them? So how do you do this? Like, how do we work on this? So the easiest way to increase your emotional intelligence is to As Socrates says, know thyself, which means self-awareness. So how do you do that? After the fact, somebody can tell you, maybe you can reflect and know, but in the moment, what you need to do is you need to know your triggers. So what's a trigger? A trigger is anything real or imagined, 
and the imagined part is important, real or imagined, that sets you off, that creates a visceral, a physical reaction in your body. So here's what happens in your brain. When we get triggered, the amygdala, which is the most ancient part of the brain that people will hear, people say it's the reptilian part of the brain, it's responsible for our emotions. The amygdala, when triggered, immediately gets activated, right? It's responsible for the fight or flight or freeze syndrome, right? It's ancient. So it's what saved us from the saber-toothed tiger, if you will. And it gets activated to save us. So today it is protecting us from ourselves, right? From our, from feeling destroyed. And it hijacks the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of our brain that's responsible for logic, for rational thinking, for all of our executive functions. So when we get triggered, we no longer think logically or rationally. And that is why people that are normally thoughtful, logical, rational, when triggered, act illogical and without thought. And they are like a crazy person because in essence, they're fighting for their survival on an emotional level. Does that make sense? Was that too long-winded? No, that was perfect. So basically, you know, if, if we don't have emotional intelligence, let me kind of send it back to you. If something triggers us up, something triggers off that amygdala from a past trauma or a patterning that your brain is like, well, we better protect her from that. We react physically, it could be whatever it, it could be. It's kind of like a tantrum, you know, you know, an anger tantrum, whatever sure. that means. And you're, and it just kind of happens, right? You're going right. to just explode out and you're not, a, you're not aware of what you're feeling. What, what is this emotion that I'm feeling right now? Like, why is this coming up for me? You know, yeah. we're, we're not observing. We're not, we're not being the observer of our emotion. And because of that, we're not moving it through in a, what would consider to be potentially a healthy way. Correct. Leading to either more flooding of that stress response system and maybe a fight. Like, who knows what's going to happen on the other side right. of that? Right. Um, right. But it doesn't always end very well. Right. well what, what, what happens is we are reacting as opposed to responding, yes. right? Because, I mean, we do, at times you do want to let people know you're angry, you're frustrated, you're pissed off. It's not that we don't want to let people know how we're feeling at times, but we want to express the emotion in a manner where it can be heard and we don't come across as a lunatic. Because think about how many times you will, if you think about in your own life, oh, all right, I, I get their point, they were right, but I couldn't hear them because they were yelling or they just sounded like such a crazy person that yeah. it, was, it was over the top. So Dr. Patty, had a question here, let's say we're in the middle, of, you know, and especially the people that we know the best, who know right. us the best, that yeah. tends to trigger us the most, you know, sure. uh, or, or our stress response, our body or our brain, our amygdala is like, oh, they're about to set me off, you know, right. so well, because in, in they're that, vulnerable. we're vulnerable to them because they yeah. know us. They know right. us. Yeah. They know our deepest, whatever, whatever, deeper right. secrets, deeper, deepest truths, deepest, you know, the skeletons in the closet, what all yep. of that. And so in that moment, if you're not able, because I know that there are many layers of like, 
of building up this emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, would you recommend, let's say you, you find yourself, the one, getting familiar with what it feels like, right? Mm -hmm. What does that feel like for you? And when you start to feel that, do you recommend people just kind of like, hey, I need to take a walk. I'm coming back, but give me 20 minutes to like get my stuff together because I'm not at a level where I can like process this through and, and respond to you in a way that is going to be helpful in this situation. Okay. So, so what you just described is yes. However, mm -hmm. for somebody to be able to do that, they're already at a higher level. Okay. Like you're not giving yourself enough credit. So, so here we go. So the first step is the self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Identify so that you can manage because we cannot manage what we don't know we're feeling. Right. Right? Right. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Acknowledge it and then label it. So let's go to acknowledge it. Accept it. Don't avoid it. Don't deny it. Don't run away from it. We used to say, like, I try not to use the word control because control is not accepting it. Right? You're trying to control something. It just gets tighter. So now what you now we know that you need to acknowledge it, accept it. And then what is it? What is this feeling that I'm feeling? And then label it. Is it anger? Is it frustration? What is the feeling? Okay. So let me backtrack just a little bit. So how do we know we're being triggered? We know we're being triggered because of the definition I gave earlier. A trigger is anything that elicits a physio visceral reaction in your body to a real or imagined threat. So you know you're being triggered because your body tells you. This is the wonderful thing about our body, right? This is the beauty of your work. Our body doesn't lie. Our body holds the emotions that cognitively we want to erase, right? That's why there's such a connection between stress and emotional health and illness. Like there's no denying that. So listen to your body. Everybody reacts differently. Some people, when they're triggered, hold their breath or they hyperventilate. Some people get that knot in their stomach. Some people tense up, their shoulders come like this, their back, palms get sweaty, right? Heart races. Those are all physical reactions to being triggered, which is great because you're feeling it. So acknowledge it. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it and then label the feeling. Then what do you do? As soon as you're aware of it and with time, you'll be able to become aware of it sooner in the triggering process and the sooner the better, right? Pause. Exactly what you said. And you might be able to say, I need to walk away from this. Give me a minute. People that know me will say, I need to process this. Like anything I say now will not serve me well. So how do you do that? How do you pause? It sounds so simple, but it's not so easy. Breathe. You do deep breathing. And breathing allows your emotions to process through right? Because when you don't breathe, the carbon dioxide builds up, you don't get the healthy oxygen to the brain. And that's why when people are triggered, you're like, what were you thinking? Well, they weren't, right? Because they didn't have. So 
the time that the neuroscientists say, ideally we want from being triggered to responding to the trigger as opposed to reacting is six seconds, which is a hell of a long time in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. But if you can do that, you will respond in an emotionally intelligent way. So there's actually a little hack, which summarizes what I just said. Okay. So when you're triggered, ask yourself three questions. One, anything that you want to say, does this need to be said? Two, does it need to be said by me? Three, does it need to be said by me now? Under the auspices of timing is everything. And that process takes you through what I just described. That's powerful. I can imagine that it the works. third is always a no. <laughs> but does this need to be said right now? At, well, when I'm, <laughs> you know what? It depends upon if you're in a place where you are able to manage your emotion, right? And also, like if it's a team at work and something happens, maybe it's something needs to be said, and maybe you're the person that needs to say it. But if you say it now, you might compromise the person's integrity. You might embarrass them. Or if you're co-founders or co-leaders, right? Because I work with teams a lot that way. It might have the rest of the team think, oh, you guys aren't aligned anymore. As a parent, we all know you really better think more than twice before you yell at a kid in front of his friends, like scold a kid, right? Because you don't want to embarrass him. Or or yelling at them at all. You know, I think about, you know, a lot of, you know, I think in terms of parenting, you know, this is, you know, kind of all the things that I've been learning is that especially a young child does something and you get triggered like that. I always think, well, that's your stuff. Like yes. that, that, that child wasn't yeah. doing anything to try to trigger you. They're just doing them, they're you know, doing their and, and right. they're doing their kid thing. They have no idea. Right. And then all of a sudden you're triggered and uh, you, you know, that onus is on you in yep. that moment of like, why, why am I? And so, you know, I, as I'm reading so many things, especially around, around parenting and you're in that feeling of triggered, those three questions, but that first step, because a lot of, a lot of people, as they're learning this, it's so hard. That first step is just don't say anything. Like, don't just sh- shut your mouth. Like, mm-hmm. because who knows what's about to come out of it, you know? And, and if you didn't have the wherewithal to ask yourself those three questions, at the very least, mm-hmm. just don't say nothing. Like, you know, you're, you're, so- also, you're also modeling how to be patient and how to not be impulsive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you're right. So some people have been blessed with parents that have high emotional intelligence, right? So they get a head start in life but they still need to develop it. But every single person can increase their emotional intelligence. And in a lot of ways, that's the wisdom of life. Like, you know, mastery is wisdom applied to life, right? And that's why people that maybe are known for having a temper or, or flying off the handle when they're younger, when they get older, they're like, you know, I can pause. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Mm. What's really interesting, Dr. Patty Ann, what I've noticed, because I did, I told you I wasn't brought up with emotional intelligence. Right. And, and so it's been this amazing practice with, with my son Kingston and it's easy with him, easy with him. And honestly, I don't know if I've been triggered with, with Kingston at all, but I am triggered with my, with my partner. I ain't going to pretend like I'm not. And so what's been really fascinating is getting to practice 
the ease in which I have empathy and emotional intelligence and all the space and love and compassion with him, I'm learning to transfer that over to other relationships as well. And so do you ever find, like as we're learning this, if there are some people we find it easier to do this with, that that could be our start uh, so that we can transfer that over to the people it's most challenging. Like that we just have, there's more betrayals there. There's more stuff there. Right. Does that make so, sense? So yeah, it makes sense. Nobody's asked me that before. It's a great question. So <laughs> here's what I'm pretty sure the answer, the an accurate answer would be. People where it's easier to show emotional intelligence to people, it is because for whatever reason, who that person is does not trigger us because of our relationship with ourselves and then them. Mm. So we are projecting parts of ourselves onto the other person so they don't trigger us. So, for example, sometimes, so this is where sometimes we don't have, we're a little hypocritical, like somebody. Let's use lateness as an example, right? Okay. Maybe our BFF can be late. It's okay. It's 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 all right. That's I just have a BFF who's late all the time. Right? <laughs> but if our partner, our romantic partner, is late, you have no respect for me. I'm sitting here waiting for you. Let's go. Because chances are there's a cumulative buildup. Yes. Of unresolved stuff. Whereas our BFF, we can let it go. I literally it's live this not- life right now. It's not so important. I have so much grace for her. I have no grace. (laughs) Right. So, so look at, so think about it and say, all right, so what is it about me that allows me to give her grace and not him grace? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's the work that I've been doing, exactly looking at that of like what allows me to have so much compassion, so much grace for the bestie, for the beautiful baby, but right. very little grace for this, this person, my partner over here. And like, what does that say about me? How can I begin to cultivate that same level of grace and compassion and understanding when he's late? you know, versus, versus my bestie. And yeah, okay. that's been so fast. I'm doing this in all facets of so a lot of areas. The, okay. So, so two parts to the answer. First, you have different, look at the expectations you're bringing to the relationship. You have different expectations of the relationship with your bestie, with your son than with your partner. Mm-hmm. So, so when the expectations are higher, it's easier to not reach the bar. Hmm. Right. There's that piece. And then the other piece at the end, you just you said something that I wanted to respond to about the empathy, the uh, compassion and empathy. Right. Okay. so empathy usually has to do with the connection and the communication. So what, what I would suggest is. Are you showing up with the empathy and the compassion in the relationship? Are you showing that to your partner? for what you want. Mm. So probably with your bestie, it's probably a two-way street, but with your partner, you know, maybe we're not being empathic because we're not getting empathy from them and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And that's the cycle that has to be broken. Yeah. I agree. I hear that. The other thing we've, we've been saying, and I don't know if this holds true, but that expectations are um, future resentments. Well, what about the expectations? That having them, that having an expectation for somebody is ultimately going to result in a future resentment that maybe we shouldn't have expectations. Uh, you know, That's a question. 
I, I don't want to disagree with some other expert because I know you're well-schooled in this stuff, but I don't see why we can't have expectations. If we don't have any bar, we have no bar. Mm. I mean, I think we as partners, actually for women, absolutely. Please, we are entitled to expect to be treated a certain way in a relationship. Now, different relationships will have different expectations. It's just like with children, right? If you expect nothing from them when they get older, you will get nothing many times, right? Maybe you have the exceptional kid that's self-motivated that will just do their homework and, you know, but most of us, don't, you know, don't have that. So, no, I don't think I agree with that in the context and what, what I'm hearing. Maybe the qualifier is realistic expectations. Mm. And if expectations are consistently not being met, then we need to sit down and have a conversation and say, okay, maybe we need to change the expectations. But I, 37 years doing this, I don't think I'd feel comfortable ever telling anybody not to have expectations in any relationship. I love it. I'm so grateful that you're debunking that. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because I know so many of us do have expectations that I think are very reasonable and everybody's situation is different. And and clearly, yeah. And and these are are conversations that are worth having so that there's agreements, agreements in place in there. But I was, I was just curious because this, this has been coming up a lot. I have in my friend zone, my friend group and anyone around me that my expectations are very high. We always say that the standard is the standard. And so, you know, this has come up a couple of times recently. And I was like, well, let me just, because I think a lot of us will feel like we have these high expectations for our partners or for our families, you know, that, you know, and that it could, depending on the situation, if someone isn't meeting that, that it could be breeding resentments. I wanted you to just share a little bit about your insight. I do have to, I do have to add though. Yeah. Because we did qualify it. Yeah. High expectations might need to be reevaluated. Right. Right. Because we don't want to set ourselves up for an expectation to be so high where that person will constantly be letting us down. Mm. And then we're always going to be angry. And then we are always going to be resentful. I would agree with that. But mm-hmm. you just use the word expectation. And I'll just give you an example from my own life. If the expectation in my marriage was that I would make dinner every night. Well, that wouldn't have worked out because I hate cooking, right? So that, that expectation doesn't even exist. I told him, you are not marrying uh, Rachel Ray. She does not live in my house. Other marriages, I know that is an expectation of the marriage, mm-hmm. right? And that's, there's no judgment. That's fine, right? My expectation was I was always going to have my career, even when I had my twins and they were sick and it was saying, you can't, you can't have your a career. You, you have two sick kids. I'm like, oh, thanks for the reminder. I almost forgot my mm-hmm. expectation. And my husband was on board with it. That was my expectation. And now expectations can be renegotiated because relationships go through different stages within different stages of our lives. So what you will expect of your partner as a honeymooner will be different than five years in. Everything changes when you have a child, right? And then you go through that. And then when your children leave and now you're at a different stage, your expectations will change. One of the big, big things that couples need to negotiate is how much time each expects to be spent with each other and separately. 
And it's the same in a business partnership. Like, what's the expectation that I'm going to, how many hours are you expecting of me to be in this business? Because maybe I have another business or maybe I only want to work Tim Ferriss is four, you know, is it four hours a day or four hours, four hours a week? A week. <laughs> yeah, show me how that plays out, but whatever. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And then I know that a big part of this too, in this conversation and all of this in relationships is really understanding body language. And I know this is an area that a lot of people are very curious about, and you have this gorgeous guide, but wh why is it important that we understand body language coming from oh, our gosh. people? Okay. So another one, thank you for sharing, hitting on all my passions here. So the reason why body language is so important is because I'm not going to give an exact number because it changes all the time, but more than 50% of all communication is body language. So many times it's what's not being said that's more important than what's being said. And I'll give you a great example of this. That's not even a body language example, but you'll get this. You know, we get a gut feeling, mm -hmm. right? And intuition. Scientists are just now starting to think that that premonition, that intuition is our own collective human experience, mm. right? Meaning like my, not your, not humanity, but my ancestors. And, and that knowledge is stored up over the generations, but we can't feel it. We can't taste it. But as we said earlier, body doesn't lie, right? So that's why you trust your intuition. The same is true with, let's use the concept of trust. Talking to somebody, you're like, just don't trust them. And you don't know why. Chances are you are picking up on micro body language expressions that you don't even know that you're picking up on that's resonating in your brain. But now let's go to the easier part of body language, right? So, you know, the one that I love, the, the variable of body language that I love is that when somebody is engaged in a conversation with you and they're agreeing with you, they will mimic your body language unconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. So you and I, everybody here knows that if we're having a conversation and I sit back like this, you all know, I'm like, dude, when she's going to stop? Like, hopefully nobody's doing that now. Like, just stop talking. I got other things to do. But we're sitting up. Our eyes are looking forward. Like, you can feel somebody's engaged. So be aware of that when you're with friends, when you're trying to do sales, right? If somebody crosses their legs when your legs are crossed, they're engaged. And it's unconscious. We can't help it because we are made to be connected, right, mm -hmm. as humans. And then the other one that I love, love, love is, so the eyes are so important to me, right? Like I think Shakespeare said, eyes are the window to the soul. And it does go right into your brain. Like I know someone, the ophthalmologist diagnosed a client having a stroke in her office because she was doing an eye exam. Like the blood was going like crazy, right? But the eyes don't lie. So when somebody smiles, they have to have the, I call it the crow's feet, right? You can't fake that. Usually the cheekbones go up. That's a genuine smile. That's when you know somebody genuinely feels happy for you. And usually the teeth show as opposed to me going, mm -hmm. it's, right? I mean, when you, in the moment, you can feel it. And then what that does, it puts you in a powerful position with your intimate partner, I would suggest you say, so if you see there's a discrepancy between the body language 
and the verbal language, call it out. You know, I notice you say you're excited to go out, but you're saying it and you're like, you know, you couldn't look more unenthusiastic. Perfect. The body language, like if you can listen for what's not being said and so much is unconscious that you, and you can't fake it. Whereas we can fake our words. We can be very deliberate. We can rehearse it, right? We can do a lot of BS with our words and we don't necessarily mean what we say. You can't fake the authenticity of your body language. So powerful. And I know, I know a lot of us would love more on how to understand that, like how to read that. And so you have a guide for us, a free gorgeous gift um, that we can grab. I'm going to have the link in the show notes, but basically this is around understanding body language or how to pick up on it. 10 secret tools of the trade of reading body language. And love I go it. through the whole head to toe. It's yeah, it's good. I love it. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> and Dr. Patty, Ann, where else would you love us to go check you out besides grabbing the guide? Okay, I would love that. I'm on Instagram. It's doctor, I think, dot underscore, patty dot underscore. And I love you to follow me there. Every Tuesday from 12 to 1230, I do a live Instagram. And come on, ask any questions. I love that. And um, I have a podcast called The Trust Doctor, Restoring Trust and Enriching Significant Relationships. I would love... For you to check that out, I had I had some really amazing guests. I have some really great guests coming up, and that would be great. Thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you. You have such incredible resources, and you are such an amazing resource yourself. So thank you so much, Dr. Patty Ann, for coming on and who just bring in the business today around emotional <laughs> intelligence and trust and relationships. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Now, I doubt you can ever fully perfect emotional intelligence, but what we can always be doing is the emotional work so that we are not hijacked by our stress response system. And there is something so empowering to be the observer of those emotions that we are experiencing and not to react due to experiencing them. So one of the most profound books that I've read on the subject is by Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who has actually been on the show a couple of times. She's one of my dearest friends, and she has a book called 90 Seconds to the Life You Love. In her book, she shares how to fully experience an emotion and let it pass in 90 seconds or less. It's in the experience and the labeling of that emotion that we can get clarity on why we're experiencing it and also where it came from, right? Because oftentimes that bubbling of an emotion, right? If it's anger or frustration or sadness, that is often coming from neurological patterning or beliefs that we were brought up with. And the more that we can identify what that is and we can kind of put a finger on it, we're able to move through it, understand it, and then respond in accordance versus react to it. Now, Dr. Patty Ann is a master at helping people identify their emotions, but also she educates us on how to respond and how to not react. As I mentioned before, her expertise lies in navigating relationships so that it's a win-win on both sides. And who doesn't want that, right? No one's winning if someone is right and somebody is wrong, right? We're winning when we both can find a common ground. So I highly recommend you go and check Dr. Patty Ann out. Grab her free guide on how to discertain body language and definitely check out her podcast, The Trust Doctor. And as always, thank you so much for listening in to the Essentially You podcast. 
This show is about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. Now, if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this today, maybe someone you are working through it when it comes to a relationship, definitely take a moment, send it on over to them via text message or share it on social. And if you do share it on social, definitely hashtag hormone CEO. That way we continue to spread the word about hormone literacy and how we become CEOs of our health. Until the next show, have an amazing day.